theyeshiva.net. So good evening, Project Light. Good evening, all the distinguished, esteemed, and special girls of Beis Yaakov from all across the country, and I don't know if you're from all across the world, wherever you're from, or any school you're from, any city, region. I thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you this evening at one of your special Project Light programs. And I assume your mission statement, as your name indicates, is a project to spread light, to cast light, to disseminate light wherever you can. I love the name and I love the mission statement, and I'll tell you why. I don't know if you realized this when you chose the name, but if you remember, the first thing, what's the first creation that Hashem creates? It says, the beginning, it's in the opening of Chumash. In the beginning, Hashem created heaven and earth. So that's a general statement. And then it says, the earth was empty and void and darkness, full of darkness, and the spirit of Hashem hovered over the water. And then what was the first creation? Vayomer Elikim, Yehi'er, Vayhi'er. Hashem said, let there be light, and there was light. And there's a very famous question. The purpose of light, what's the purpose of light? purpose of light is that creatures should be able to see. Trees use light for photosynthesis. They convert sunlight into glucose, into sugar. We use light in order to be able to see, in order to be able to have heat, in order to be able to have warmth, and all of the other benefits that come from the sun, in terms of produce and vegetation. Animals, of course, need light. So if we would live in a world of darkness, we wouldn't be able to survive, because light is so important and vital for existence. But if so, why was it the first creation? Light serves everything else. So it should have been created together or after the other things or creatures were created and they needed light. So then Hashem creates light. But that's not what the Torah says. The first thing is Yehi'er. And one of the explanations is because before you start a project, you have to know your mission statement. You have to know your purpose. What's your purpose? Before you build a home, before you build a company, before you build a family, before you build a corporation, before you build an organization, before you build a website, before you build anything, what's the purpose? What's the tachlis? What's your mission statement? It's critical. So now the question is, what's the mission statement? Why? For what? Shem says the first thing is the idea, the plan. Project's purpose is, let there be light. Their job is a universe that we will light up. And that's where the human being comes in, because we're the ones who can light up the world. Oilam in Hebrew comes from the word concealment, because the light is concealed. And our job is to reveal the light in people, to reveal the light in ourselves, to reveal the light in the universe. Because everything has light. Everything is filled with light. Everything is an aspect of Hashem's light. 
but it can be concealed. I may not be able to see it. So the first mission statement of everything is, what's the world? Project Light. So your project is really a continuation of the project of existence, which was all about Yehi Er, let there be light. Every moment of the day and the night, you and I and we and all of us have an opportunity to answer one question. Will I create light in this moment? Or God forbid not. Any situation you're in, any relationship, any conversation, any encounter, any circumstances with yourself or with others, you're always answering one question. Will I bring light into this moment? Will I bring light into this relationship? Will I bring light into this experience? Will I bring light into this encounter? Or chas v'shalom not. So your project is really the project of history, the project of existence, and may you continue to spread so much light to yourselves, to your families, to your friends, to your communities, to all of the Jewish people and to the whole world, because heaven knows we can use some, we can use some light these days. So the structure of the evening is, I'm going to speak for uh, some time, I think will be like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, about some ideas connected to the truth of Yiddishkeit, Emuna, the foundations of Judaism. And then we come to the more exciting part, which is questions and answers, or at least dialogue, an exchange of ideas. And you can either unmute yourself and ask your question or put it on chat as you wish, whatever is more comfortable for you. I think it's so important at the onset of our conversation to really state something that it may be obvious to some, and that's fine if we hear it again, but it's also not obvious to some, and that's why I want to emphasize it. It's so important to get down to the basics of what is Yiddishkeit. What is it? Well, we all know what it is. There's Torah, there's mitzvahs, it's a lifestyle, it's a culture, it's full of laws and commandments, it's what we eat and what we don't eat and how we dress and how we live and Shabbos and Yom Tif and all different types of halachas that guide us and a way of life that guides us. It consists of Torah and Avoid and Gemelas Chasadim. And that's all, of course, 100% true, the structures of Yiddishkeit, which all of you have been privy to learn and be grow with it and be educated with it growing up in homes filled with Yiddishkeit, Judaism, Torah, and mitzvahs. And you're a minority of the Jewish people, as you know, because most of our brothers and sisters the world over have not received a Jewish education. And even those who have received something, it's often very minimal, but many are so unaffiliated, they don't even know much of the basics of Judaism. So that's all in terms of the structure, the lifestyle. You all know the difference between Pesach and Shavuos and Sukkot and Purim and Tubishvat and Chanukah. And that's already more than most of our brothers and sisters who don't know the difference between the two and may not even know a word of the Hebrew language. But what I want to go is one step deeper. What is behind all of it? What is the neshama of Yiddishkeit? What is the soul of it all? Now, of course, this is a topic that we can expand upon. But I just want to touch on a few points of what Yiddishkeit teaches. What are the, some of the Yisaitis, the foundations of Judaism? Why is it something that we embrace with love, with passion? Why is it something that I hold dear? Why is it something that you would hold dear? Why is it something that you want to bequeath to your children? 
Be'ezer Hashem at the right time to your grandchildren. Why is it something that we fought for and sacrificed a lot for over the generations? The Yisoyed HaYisoydus, the foundation of all foundations, is that Yiddishkeit is here to teach us MS, truth. We want truth and only truth and nothing but the truth. Often, we grow up and we ask questions and we don't get answers for those questions. And we come to believe that everything we're taught is just traditions and much of it can be babamises and fabrications. And it's just taught, you know, because that's the culture of our people. But as we say every as we say in davening and in in uh, the expression is ashenos ashabacharbanu mekolam and venosan lano teiras emes. The essence of Torah is that it's teiras emes. It's a Torah of emes. It's a Torah of truth. The pasuk says then obviously says Hashem eloikim emes. We finish kriyashma every day. Ani Hashem elokechem emes viyatziv. V'nachayin, v'kayim, v'neman. U'dvarcha malkeinu emes, we say in the Kiddush of Rosh Hashanah. The word amen means emes. We say amen means affirmed, emes, it's true. Emes v'yatsev, it's real, it's authentic. And this is so important to understand. The reason Jews preserved Yiddishkeit and embraced Yiddishkeit is because of their conviction that this is true. It's not a Baba Misa. It's really true. In other words, Judaism is teaching us the truth of reality, the truth of existence. And that's why the Jewish people are not afraid of questions. Because if you believe something is true, you don't have to be afraid of questions. I only have to be afraid of questions if I am afraid that it may be a lie. If something may be a lie, then I'm afraid if you ask me questions because you may expose the lie. But when something is true, you're not afraid of investigation. Imagine you have a company that's fraudulent. It's fake, fake news. You're not going to want to open the books. You don't want anybody should investigate your company because they may find some very illegal stuff there. But if you know that you're legit... You don't care if somebody investigates. You don't care if somebody goes through the books. You don't care if somebody scrutinizes the situation. You know why? You've got nothing to hide. It's true. Whenever you have a religion or a philosophy that's not true, you're afraid of investigation. But when you have the MS, you're never afraid of any questions. You can investigate. You could look at it. You, could, you can review it. It's not going to diminish it because... When you got the answers, you're not afraid of the questions. That's what confidence is. When I know that this is true, if I tell you that last night I was in Australia and it's not true, then I'm afraid if you ask me too many questions because you may catch me by the lie. Oh, I saw you at a wedding last night. Oh, it was my copy. But somebody said that Australia is on lockdown. Oh, they made an exception for me. You get it? I'm going to get stuck. Because when you lie, you get stuck at some point. But if I really was in Australia last night, I was not, by the way. But if I really was in Australia last night, 
You can ask me a thousand questions. You can ask me a million questions. You can ask me a billion questions. I don't mind. You know why? Because I was there. <laughs> you can ask me everything. I'm not afraid that reality is going to undermine my statements, that you're going to find a contradiction. You know why I'm not afraid? Because I was there. And once I, was, once I know I was there, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. That's why the Jewish people and the great Jews, Jewish leaders and scholars of all the generations, were never afraid. You can investigate. You could go deeper. You can ask every question in the world. We're never terrified. You know why? We were there. It's real. It's authentic. We're not selling the Brooklyn Bridge. We're not selling the George Washington Bridge. We're not even selling the Tappan Zee Bridge or the Williamsburg Bridge. If I'm selling bridges and I'm concocting stories, and I'm fabricating babamises, and inventing tales, I shun away from questions. But if it's MS, if it's authentic, I got nothing to be scared of. And this is something I want all of you girls to understand. That the greatest minds and hearts of the Jewish people for three and a half thousand years were not busy sacrificing their life for something that their grandmother decided when she made chicken soup and invented a couple of stories and passed it on with the guggle-muggle and the applesauce and the chalaptus and the eggs and the liver on Shabbos and the challah and therefore we're preserving it with so much sacrifice. There's the reason the Jews observed 630 mitzvahs of the Torah for three and a half thousand years through thick and thin, sometimes very beautiful, tranquil periods of time, but sometimes very tumultuous and difficult and agonizing periods of time is only one reason. Because they knew this is true. This is worth fighting for. This is worth preserving. Because it's real. It's as real as it gets. Torah is telling you the truth. It's telling you the truth about life. It's telling you the truth about existence. It's telling you the truth about the world. Telling you the truth about yourself. That's the most important thing. It's telling you the emes about who you are. About what life is. What, what, what the meaning of life is. What's before birth. What's after death. What life is all about. What the world is all about. What our aim, what our goal is. And who we are as individuals. And as part of a collective. Yiddishkeit is the gift of truth in the world. And that's why we're never afraid of questions. We're never afraid of investigation. We're never afraid of scrutiny. I know that some people are. They may not be secure. They may not be comfortable. It may not have been the way they were educated. And that's fine. There's so many different types of people. And we have to respect and give space for all of them. But I want all of you to know, because I know some of you are very intelligent. And some of you are out of the box. You warned me that some of you guys are out of the box. You remember somebody emailed me? So I just always want you to know this because I get so many emails from girls. We ask our questions and nobody can answer. Are there no answers? I'm completely confused. I want you to know. Maybe not everybody can answer every question. And of course, there are questions in life that are not easily answerable and maybe unanswerable. Life is filled with mystery. But the fact that we accept Yiddishkeit is not based on a cultish blind faith 
because all of us have been brainwashed by our mommies and tatis and Beis Yaakov teachers and Rebbe's and Mechanchos and Moros and, and Rosh Hashivas and Rebbe's and Sadikim and rabbis and Rebbitsons and, and fear and Musser speeches. And we're afraid we were sold, uh, you know, we were sold a pot of Cholent about Gehenim and purgatory and therefore we're all frightened. And that's why we accept it. And it has nothing to do with Emmas. We would have thrown it out a long time ago. <laughs> we would have cast it away a long time ago. Yiddishkeit is based completely on MS and nothing but the truth. You'll say, but there's politics and there's corruption and there's stupidity and some schools don't know what they're doing and some schools do know what they're doing and some educators are ignorant and some educators are brilliant. Yeah, people are ignorant and people are brilliant. People are secure and people are insecure. Some people are nice and some people are not so nice. Some people are very compassionate and some people are a little more aggressive. That's all part of the human condition. That's why we need Project Light to be able to reveal light. But I want all of you girls to understand that what Yiddishkeit has to give you in life is truth, emes. And that's even deeper than reward and punishment. Because you don't want to be living a lie. You always want to look for the truth. There's nothing as powerful, as meaningful, as inspirational, and as liberating as the truth, and only the truth, and nothing but the truth. Which brings me now to another a fundamental point I want to share. I spoke about truth and I want to speak about love. <laughs> truth and love. You know why I speak about these two things? Because in their Torah, they're always mentioned together. Not always, but very often, right? Hashem, 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 Full of love and full of truth. We have the expression, do with me love, kindness, which is love and truth. Chesed and emes. We have an expression, Torah's emes and Torah's chesed. Right? Torah's emes, Torah's emes hoysa befiyu. We just said, It's an expression in Tanakh, the Torah of truth. And you all know Friday night we say, There's the Torah of emes and the Torah of chesed. And the two are not two separate Torahs, it's the same Torah. Real truth is real love, and real love is real truth. Torah is a Torah of truth, and it's a Torah of love. We spoke a few moments about truth, now let's speak a few moments about love. Sometimes we are under the impression that the mitzvahs and the laws and the halachas of Torah are here, chas v'shalom, to stifle us or to repress us or to limit us, and to restrict us. And I think it's so important, girls, and I hope each and every one of you can internalize the following words I'm going to share with you and teach it to your siblings and to your friends and to your classmates and to people who are not here this evening. And not just now, but I mean in the future of your lives. And that is this. The foundation of Yiddishkeit is, as the Navi Malachi says, he was the last prophet, Ahavti eschem amar Hashem. Hashem says, I love you. And I love you with an unconditional, unwavering, absolute love. The love is non-negotiable. The love is eternal. The love is timeless. You're my child. 
God willing, one day you're going to be blessed with children. The love to a child never, ever dissipates. Sometimes the child behaves beautifully. Sometimes the child makes a mess in the house. Sometimes the child behaves inappropriately. But you don't tell your child, oh, you didn't behave nicely. I'm not your mommy anymore. And if you do say that to your child, you need emergency help. A functional, healthy father and mother know that the relationship is absolute. There's nothing that can affect it or weaken it, even if there's pain and even if there's disappointment and even if there's disagreement. Those of you who have, hopefully, you grew up in healthy and loving homes of fathers and mothers, even though your parents are not perfect, you're also not perfect. You know that, I hope. Your parents are not perfect, but you're also not perfect. (laughs) Believe it or not. But the love, the love is always there. So the basis of everything is that Hashem loves you. And Hashem is your biggest fan. And Hashem is your biggest supporter. And Hashem is cheering you on. And Rebbein Shalom wants to see you successful in life. Like a mother, like a father, you want your child to grow and blossom and be happy. You want your child to flex his muscles and maximize his or her potential and live life to the fullest physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, on every level. You want your children to be successful, to be happy, to be filled with simcha, to be filled with menucha. And there's never a moment you get jealous of your child or you want to take revenge of your child or you want to become vengeful and you get angry to the point that you cut them off. No. Even when you may discipline your child or you may be stern with your child, if you're a healthy parent, it's all coming because you care, because you love them, because there's a very powerful relationship. Every single thing the Torah tells us about how to live, never ever should you think that it's here to crush a person or to punish a person or to penalize a person. Hashem's love to each and every one of you, each and every one of us, is infinite. The Zohar says, Reb Shimon says, that if a person would know how much Hashem loves him, he would run after Hashem faster and with more ferociousness than a lioness runs after her prey. The Baal Shem Tev said that Hashem's love for every Jew is deeper and profounder than the love of parents to a ben yachid, to an only child who was born, when they were already older and they did not think they can have children any longer, and then they were blessed with one single child. You can only imagine the powerful, intense affection that they harbor towards this child. Says the Baal Shem Tev, even that is an inadequate metaphor to describe the intense love that the Rebbeinu Shalom has to every single Jew, no matter who you are and where you are, no matter whether you made mistakes in life and even if you made serious mistakes in life. What is more, the basis of Yiddishkeit is that every person is a piece of Hashem. Your neshama, it says in Tanya, is a chelek eleka mimal mamish. He adds the word mamish. Your soul is a piece of Hashem. It's a fragment of the divine. It's a ray of infinity. It's a piece of heaven. So at your core, you are Hashem's light in this world. You are His manifestation in this world. You're never separated. You can't be separated. At your deepest core, you are divine. You're a shtikl getlechkeit. You're a piece of God, so to speak. And that also means that at your core, you're invincible. You're indestructible. Just like nobody can destroy Hashem, nobody can destroy you. 
And even if you experienced pain in your life, and even if you experienced trauma, and even if you're dealing with anxiety or stress or a mood disorder or a personality disorder, and even if you face struggles, and even if you were given some challenges, or you have challenges in your life that are not easy to deal with, never, ever think for a moment that you are essentially flawed or blemished, that you're unworthy, that you're undeserving. Don't allow self-loathing and self-shame to characterize your life. Always tune into the truth that you are a piece of Hashem and therefore at your core, you're wholesome, you're perfect, you're beautiful, your glow is infinite, you're holy, you're sacred, you're full of possibility and full of confidence and full of strength. You're indestructible mamish. Nobody can take away that confidence from you. And all the pain that you're dealing with, all the pain that I'm dealing with is inside of me, but it's not me. I contain it. It does not contain me. It's inside of me. This is the foundation of foundations. And girls, there's another very important thing to understand. All of Torah and Mitzvahs was given by the creator of the world in order to help you achieve and live the best life possible. Never think of halacha in terms of a tool to crush people or stifle people or hold people in check so they don't express themselves. Hashem wants every person to express themselves fully. If you have a talent, if you have a gift, if you have a resource, He wants you to live it out and express it and use it to bring light to the world, Project Light. Because if you were given a talent and a gift, why did He give it to you? Just to waste just to suppress it, just to make believe you don't have it, just to get frustrated? No, because this is part of your shlichus. Every single soul was sent down with exactly the energies, the faculties, the resources, the gifts, the blessings, the capabilities, and the attributes and the characteristics and the challenges that it needs in order to be able to fulfill its mission in this world. Nothing is wasted. No person and no faculty and not a moment. So what you have is exactly what you need to have in order to be able to be a conduit for Hashem's light in the world in the way that only you can be that conduit. And all of Torah Mitzvahs is a blueprint from the creator of the world to help you live your life to the fullest, to help you suck the marrow out of life and to be able to be the calmest and happiest person possible. Sometimes a mitzvah may challenge me but challenging me doesn't mean hurting me. Challenging me, me means helping me go deeper into me so I can discover my inner energies and my inner resources. Even when the Torah says, don't do something, it's like a nutritionist telling me, Rabbi Waiwai, don't eat this food. I say, but I want to eat this food. He says, yes, but it's not good for your blood type. And it's not good for your makeup. And it's not good for your brain. I say, but I want to. He says, you may want to externally, but deep down, if you want to be healthy and live, you probably don't want to, even if you're tempted to do it. Sometimes the terrorist says, don't do this or do this. I say, I'm not in the mood. I'm not interested. Don't force me. Don't tell me what to do. But we have to remember, if it's a direction from Hashem, it's always here because this is not good for my blood type. <laughs> it's not good for my soul, even if it sounds good right now but it could be undermining me short-term or long-term. So when I say no, it's not because I'm a repressed person. 
It's because I want to live with inner wisdom and inner truth and maximize my life. Who knows the brain of a person? Who knows the brain? Today, neuroscientists are beginning to discover how incredibly complex the brain is. And we still haven't scratched the surface of what exists in that little jello, which is two or three pounds, called the human brain. It's incredible what exists in that brain. It's mummish. The more you study about the brain, the more you can go crazy in that little piece of jello. It seems so insignificant. You have the central nervous system controlling 70 trillion cells, making sure the body is functioning and operating in all of its systems to the maximum degree. A a human organism is not just a little machine. It's a universe. It's mamash a universe what goes on there. Between the circulatory system, the digestive system, the urinary system, all of the other nine systems that exist in the human body. It's, it's incredible. And it's all in the brain. It's all directed and guided by that brain, which is, of course, alive because of the divine, the soul, the, the chiyos, Hashem's energy that vivifies and animates the body. So we don't even begin to know what exists in a brain. It's just mamish, mamish incredible. But the author of the brain, he knows what the brain is like. Hu yada yitzreinu. He knows what that brain is like. He knows me in the best way. And he gave a manual, a user's manual, how to use this brain in a way that you will maximize it, protect it from damage, and make sure you use this life in the best possible way. You know when you buy a phone, or you buy a computer, or you buy a refrigerator, or you buy a vacuum cleaner, or you buy a laptop, it comes with a user's manual. The one who created the product tells you, don't put it on the radiator. Don't let it fall into the pool. <laughs> make sure it's not placed in a. Make sure it's not. It's not placed in a. In, it's not put in a place where it's going to get too hot or too cold. Why is he mixing in? He's not mixing in. He knows the machine, and he wants you to make sure that this machine is used, and you can enjoy it for a long time in the most optimal way. You shouldn't damage it. This is even a physical machine. The brain also has a manual, and we need a manual, because it's very confusing. Life is confusing. That's the Torah. The Torah is the manual of the author of the brain, and the author of every brain, and the author of life, and the author of the cosmos, the author of the universe, and the author of history, who says, listen, I know you. (laughs) I created you. I created each one of those cells. I created each one of those hundred billion neural pathways and hundred billion nerves and neurons, nerve cells and neurons. I created them. I designed them. I placed them. Here is the blueprint. Here is the manual. Here is the roadmap for you to be able to know that this is too sensitive. Make sure it doesn't go to certain places. Make sure you don't find it in certain places if you want to preserve it. This is what you should do with it. This is what you should not do with it. This is the manual. When I read this manual for my laptop, when I read a manual for this little tzatzka, I don't get upset. Who does this guy think he is to tell me that I should not put the computer in my bathtub? I want to take, put him in the bathtub. Listen, you could do what you want, but you're not going to have a computer anymore. That's how we have to appreciate the Torah as well. It's the manual of the author of life to be able to help us take our lives and utilize it in the most beautiful and exciting way. 
to be able to live a life filled with joy, filled with serenity, filled with happiness, filled with fulfillment, filled with inspiration, filled with resilience, so that each of us can enjoy life to the fullest. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I think every single girl out there needs to hear this. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Do you mind reading reading the questions? You could just read question by question. Um, everyone could just chat them to me, and then we'll go through them. You said it was a long question. I skipped the long ones. Oh, okay. How can we know the Torah is true? How can we trust the Torah? That's a beautiful and wonderful question. I'm going to give you one answer. We could discuss this for a long time, but I want to give you one and very, very brief answer, okay? If somebody comes tonight to all of us. Somebody gets up on Zoom. His name is Mr. Finkelstein. And he says, tomorrow morning, girls, the sun is going to set, the sun is going to rise in the west and it's going to set in the east. We'll probably look at him and say, you cuckoo. You know what happens tomorrow? The sun rises in the west and sets in the east. We're going to like, hmm. That's weird. That's weird. Okay, so maybe this guy is privy to some information. Maybe there's some scientific explanation that I don't know, once in 5,781 years, <laughs> the sun, for some reason, is rising on one the opposite direction. Maybe the earth has to do with the spin of the earth, the orbit of the earth. I, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's weird. Okay, well, maybe the guy is, uh, is really... You know, he's insane and that's some weird luck he had. You know, okay. What happens if this happens again? <laughs> he does this again and again and again. At some point, I'm going to start wondering if this man is not privy to some information that nobody else has. What I just described to you happens in the Torah. Okay? The Torah is written thousands of years ago. Whatever you believe about the Torah, even if you want to say devil's advocate, it was written by some people, it was written by Moses Jefferson, but it was written a very long time ago. There are predictions, things that says in the Torah that are completely unbelievable. And I'll give you a few examples. The Torah says, for example, the biggest about the Jewish people, you're the smallest of nations. Yeah, You're going to be hunted down. You're going to be scattered all over the world. But you're never, ever going to perish. You will survive. You will thrive. You will come back to your people. You will come back to your land. If you were writing a book 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, and you know that you're talking to a little tribe and a little nation, and you're talking in the name of God, why are you making such a prediction that completely doesn't make sense? It's like most empires, most nations have disappeared. Like, why do you think your, your people is going to be different? You're going to be proven to be a charlatan. 
Imagine you get up and you say, tomorrow the sun is rising in the west. Everyone is going to think you're cuckoo, you're crazy, you're mashugana, don't do this. And they say, no, God told it to me. You're stupid, tomorrow morning everybody will see you're a liar. But then tomorrow morning the sun rises in the west. (laughs) And you said it the night before. And this happens again and again and again. Another example. This Torah writes about the Jewish people. Yeah, that God told Abraham, so to speak, or playing devil's advocate, remember, right? You're going to become a source of blessing for all of humanity. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. You're going to become the guiding light for humanity. Are you crazy? Is this what you write? Here's a little small band, a little tribe. They're going to influence all of humanity. Who even knows they're going to survive? And you're, you're saying it in the name of God. But you're going to be proven to be a charlatan. Guess what? A few thousand years later, the Jewish people are here. And the Jewish people in Judaism have influenced humanity in the most dramatic and powerful way, more than any other nation and group in history, even though we don't constitute even a quarter of 1% of civilization. Another thing, you predict that the Jews are going to be in exile and tortured and suffer, but they're going to come back there to Israel. It never happened in history that you've been away from a land for 2,000 years and then come back. Why are you saying this in the name of God? It's mamish like saying the sun is going to rise in the West. It's going to be contrary to all reality checks. doesn't make sense. Why, why, Why are you saying this? The only reason you would write this is if somehow you knew it was true. You're not going to be a charlatan. Because you knew it was authentic. The Torah is filled with these types of promises, with these types of uh, predictions, with these types of statements. Not a single word of it has ever failed us. So this is one very basic and simple way of looking at this document and saying, you know, you can trust it. Questions are not the same thing as apicursus, as heresy. Apicursus means... Somebody who's invested in not believing and they're asking questions to justify their heresy. But somebody who's really bothered by something, if I'm curious, if I'm inquisitive, right? And I'm trying to understand because I'm bothered by something, that's not apicursus. That's important to listen to and to address. To put it differently, let's say you have a question and you come to me and say, Rabbi Jacobson, I have a question, and you tell me your question, I say, apicursus. Will that solve the question? Will that remove the question? Let's be honest. And the answer, of course, is not only will it not remove the question, it will intensify the question. Because you're going to tell yourself, of course, Rabbi Jacobson has nothing to say. Of course he told me it's apicursus. So when we call a question apicursus, we don't take away the question. We make the question stronger. And that's why it's so important to understand the difference. When somebody is bothered by a question, you can ask it. You're supposed to ask it. You're allowed to ask it. It's no mitzvah to ask a question if you don't have it. I don't have to put questions into people's minds. But if somebody naturally, organically has a question, it's a mitzvah to ask and it's a mitzvah to answer. It's the exact opposite of apicursus. Thank you. This is where when you have access to unfiltered internet, it's something that is really very, very unhealthy. 
And not because you're a bad person, but because we're all normal people and we have to realize that we need boundaries in our lives to keep us healthy. If I eat every piece of cheesecake and slice of pizza that I see on the table, it's dangerous, even though I'm tempted to. And if I go to every website that's available, it's extremely detrimental, both in terms of time, in terms of mental space, in terms of addiction, in terms of education, and in terms of what I fill my brain with. So I would encourage you to speak to somebody responsible who won't judge you, maybe a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, an uncle, an aunt, a teacher, a principal, an older friend or confidant, to help you really create the structures, the boundaries, the filters, because to fight every day again and again and again, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to put something in front of your nose and then say, go away from it. It's just too hard. Speak to somebody who can help you do it without you knowing the password. And, and then it doesn't become a struggle. For two weeks, it'll be hard. You'll have withdrawal symptoms. But then you'll be more free. You'll be able to talk to your friends more. You'll be able to read better books. You'll be able to relax more. And your brain will be in a healthier place. We need, we need relationships we need relationships much more than screens. I know we're all on screens these days, and right now I'm speaking to you on a screen. <laughs> and the Gemara says you shouldn't spit in the cistern from where you're taking water, so I'm not going to start making fun of screens when I'm looking at a screen. <laughs> but nonetheless, I say we need much more relationships. We need the social connection, the social contact. Have you heard about Social Dilemma? Everybody says you have to watch Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma is a new documentary that came out about social media and how they kidnap the brain. I have not watched it, but I heard at least five or six people told me, Rabbi Jacobson, you're mechuyev to watch this film, this documentary, Social Dilemma. Apparently, it shows people what the architects of social, techno- of, 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 uh, of social media have done in order to hijack us and keep us addicted to the screens. One of the lines that somebody told me is that when you're, on social media or you're on Facebook, right, and all these other big platforms, you think you're the customer, you're the client. It's not true. You're the product. (laughs) You are being used. You are the product being sold to all the websites and companies. You're the product because they have your information and they guide you where they want you to be. So you're actually a slave. You are being used. Now, just being aware of this is helpful. I I use social media, as you know. I communicate a lot. I teach and uh, my clips and, uh, you know, some of you know this. But it's so important to be aware of the pitfalls that you should own it. It shouldn't own you. This little phone, does it own me or do I own it? Sometimes it feels like it owns me. It owns me. I want to sit down to learn, uh, phone. I want to sit down to talk to my wife, the phone. My kids want to do homework with me, the phone. I don't own it, it owns me. You don't want to be in that place. You want to be a free person. And we need we need boundaries. Well, you do have to understand, if Yiddishkeit is MS, how is it so, so many people are, belie- are, 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 are believing lies? You have to understand something. And this is also true about us and about Jews. People often will believe what they want to believe. <laughs> I cannot convince anybody to believe anything, even if I know it's true. People will believe what they want to believe and what's comfortable for them to believe. The way they were brought up, 
the way they're educated, the way they're indoctrinated. And I can't blame them. If I would have been brought up in a very different culture and faith and religion, where would I be today? I'm not sure. We're so biased. It's something called confirmation bias. I want to believe certain things, and I believe them. I don't want to believe certain things, so I find ways not to believe them. It's important to understand this, number one. Number two, you have to understand that there are 2.8 billion Christians in the world. There are 1.7 or 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. Christianity and Islam are all derivatives of Judaism, right? Christianity and Islam believe in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, in the exodus of Egypt, in Maimed Har Sinai, in Matan Teira. So half of the world believes in Matan Teira and believes in Yitzhak Mitzrayim because they believe in the Bible. They believe in Teresh Shabbat They believe in what they call the Old Testament. They believe that uh, Muhammad was also a prophet and they believe that Yashka was also whatever he was. But they all believe in Chamisha Chamisha so you're dealing here with half the world, half of civilization, considering themselves ears of Avram Avinu, spiritual ears of Avram Avinu, the founder of monotheism, the founder of Yiddishkeit. Now that's an incredible thing, because Avram Avinu had no military, he didn't own territory, he wasn't a king, he had no empire, he had no massive army, he was a man who believed in his convictions and he followed his convictions, Lech Lecha. And today... He is the most influential person who ever lived. Avramovina and Moshevin. Is that incredible or what? So you have to realize that billions of people accept that as a Yisoid. However, Christianity took a lot of parts of Judaism and rejected other stuff and put in some lies. The same is true with Islam. When Mashiach comes, we're going to realize, all the religions are going to realize that the good in each of their religions comes from Torah. Thank why does Hashem make such hard things happen to good people? Ho, 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 ho. Let me tell you, let me get straight to the point, okay? After all the books and all the speeches and all the lectures and all the svarim and all the explanations and all the insights in the world, the ultimate and real answer to your question consists Three words. We don't know. And I mean it earnestly. We really, really don't know. We just don't know. And actually, it makes sense that we don't know. For two reasons. Number one, you can't expect a finite brain to wrap itself around an infinite mind. If I were to ask your three-year-old sister to sit at the class of Albert Einstein teaching physics, your three-year-old sister would come out of the class and what would she say? This was the most boring, stupid class in the history of humanity. She's three years old. You can't expect her to enjoy a lecture of a brilliant world-class physicist and scientist. Even though one day your sister may be as brilliant as Albert Einstein, I don't know, may be more brilliant. So how do we expect that my brain, your brain, which is created by Hashem, it's finite. And the gulf between my brain and Hashem is much more than the separation between my brain and an ant's brain. I don't expect that an ant knows what's happening inside my life. 
and an ant understands what I'm doing. How can I even begin to expect that my brain, your brain, our brain should understand Hashem and Hashem's ways? We really, really don't know. In fact, the miracle is that there are things that we do understand. The fact that much of life we could understand and we could appreciate and we could say, wow, this is incredible, this makes sense, this is amazing. That's the chiddush, that's the innovation. The fact that there's so much of life that we can that we don't get that we don't comprehend that's actually very nor- that's actually very normal even if it's painful so i think it's important to have the humility and to know that we really really don't know there's so much we don't know there's so much we don't understand and there's also another point here hashem doesn't want us to understand pain you know why he wants us to get rid of the pain of the world if i would be able to understand why people suffer i wouldn't get so upset I wouldn't protest it. I wouldn't fight against it. I would say, okay, there's a plan. It's supposed to be that way. Hashem doesn't want me to understand why there is suffering in the world because He wants me to be outraged, to be hurt, to be crushed by the suffering and to do whatever I can to alleviate people's suffering. So maybe it's good that we don't understand. Good question. If the Torah is really the best thing for us, why do we have to be convinced? <laughs> it should be. It should be very obvious, right? Beautiful question. But I think you're intelligent girls. I think you know the answer. I know the answer, because a part of me would rather just be lazy and be a couch potato. <laughs> And do nothing. Listen, again, when I see a piece of cheesecake, my instinct is, eat it. If I use my brains and I use my discipline, I say, if you're going to eat it, Rabbi Wai, if you're going to eat it, in 20 minutes, you're going to be in a bad mood. (laughs) When I eat sugar and and carbs, I get into a bad mood. You're going to be depressed. You're not going to feel good. You're going to feel heavy and lethargic. But my instinct, my instinct says, go eat it. You know how I know my instinct says, go eat it? Because sometimes I eat it. (laughs) My point is, following instinct is wonderful, but we also have to realize that our instincts are very superficial. I get angry. I get angry. I'm overwhelmed from anger, right? And I want to scream and I want to holler. But then when I calm down, I realize that maybe I'm being immature. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe it's my own insecurity that's being addressed. For this, I have to go deeper than instinct. And that's why I think if we look deeply into our lives, we see that the Torah's lifestyle creates the most meaningful and normal and balanced life in every area. When it comes Shabbos, marriage, relationships with children, chinuch, even drugs. You know what's happening? We have problems with drugs. We have problems with depression. But you know the percentage? Is? Your mothers know that tonight you're on a Bisiak of Project Light, but your contemporaries, your age in the secular world, a much larger amount are busy doing things that are very destructive. Now, I know that some of us in Bisiak are also addicted to different things. But in terms of a lifestyle, it creates a structured life that is most conducive for normalcy and growth. Why do people have to be convinced? Because I'm lazy and I'm not interested. And sometimes it's a burden, you know? In the morning when I wake up, you think I want to daven every day? 
not interested. I want to go to work. But I know when I take the time and I daven with kavona, it makes me a better person. It makes me a calmer person. It makes me a more moral person. In the middle of davening, I can be introspective. I can take some deep breaths and meditate on where I have to become better, on what I need from Hashem today. But is it something that I run to every morning? Sometimes I'm excited and sometimes I'm like, not today. And I have to tell myself, go do it. Just like people who work out every day and take a long walk every day, <laughs> exercise every day, or whatever they do, Pilates or meditation. It's not always instinctive. Sometimes, yeah. But very often I have to tell myself, you're not in the mood, but this is good. This is wonderful. This is going to bring out the best in you. We have like 60 more questions. How much time do we have? We have 60 more questions. Wow. So let's go. Listen, this is an important, this is an important group. You are the future of our people. So uh, every, every moment that we spend together, I feel, is of infinite value. Thank you. Okay. What should I do if I feel I'm getting influenced by people that are doing bad things? If you feel you're getting influenced by people that are doing bad things, it's important for you to create boundaries that are kind but firm. And what that means practically is if there's a friend who wants to go out with you, but you know that when you're going out, you're going to be doing things that are not good, they're going to schlep you into situations you don't want to be there, you have to make it very clear to this group and say, listen, I love you, I cherish you, but really, this is not for me. And even if they're going to say, oh, you became a nerd, you became from Beis Yaakov, you're going to the seminary, you want a shidduch with a bentor, or whatever, they're going to, really, they're going to say that because they're hurting, you know what I mean? They're hurting inside, so you have to be confident. When you're confident with what you want and what you need, you can create nice, respectful, but firm boundaries. And people will actually respect you much more. Okay, thank you. Um, What do I do when people in positions of authority oppose my positive growth? What do you do when people in positions of authority oppose your positive growth? Well, (laughs) that's a challenge. Um... I don't know the details of the situation, so it's hard for me to give a definitive answer, but I think, from just a general perspective, I think it's important to try to understand why these people in authority would oppose your positive growth. Is it maybe something that they're unaware of? Is it something they're ignorant of? Is it something they're afraid of? And maybe there can be a communication that will help alleviate their fears or concerns. If you feel that it's an impossible situation and they're just opposing your growth for some irrational, blind reason, then the question is, do you really have to be under their authority? And maybe you can also speak to somebody that you do trust to speak to them to help make it better. Another thing is sometimes we're in a position where we're under people's authority and they don't appreciate who we are and they may make certain comments that are difficult for us. And sometimes, and I'm not saying this as authoritative advice, but sometimes it's wise to lay low a little bit, do your thing without everybody knowing it until you get through it and then you could be a little more free to move on and flex your muscles. You know, be smart. Don't be right. Be smart. Thank you.
How come Beis Yaakov schools don't give a lot of time to Davin? I really don't know. I, I'm Amr I don't, I don't know how much time they give to Davin. I didn't know that there's one policy for all Beis Yaakov schools. I'm really not in a position to answer that question. I simply don't know the facts, and I certainly don't know the reasoning. These questions have to be brought up to the leadership of Beis Yaakov. If I'm a Beis Yaakov girl and I ask the questions that bother me, I may sound like I'm an apikyrus. So you have to know who your teachers are and who the people you're going to be asking the questions. If you have, and you'll, you'll figure this out, there are different types of teachers. There are teachers who are more open, who are more understanding, who are more authentic. And there are teachers who are more maybe closed and they're more uptight and they may be more afraid or they may have a different approach to Yiddishkeit. I'm not judging anybody. But you have to make sure you're addressing it to the right person. You know, you don't come to a dentist because you have a problem with your feet, right? Just like you don't come to a cardiologist (laughs) for a problem that you have in your teeth. So you have to go to the right person. You have to make sure it's the right teacher, it's the right mentor, it's the right mechanaches, it's the right mora, it's the right mashpia, it's the right rebetzin, whatever it is. You know, don't just ask your question to anybody. They may not be able to know how to deal with it. And they're going to say, shh, we don't ask these questions. So make sure it's a good person. And maybe it's not in your school. Maybe you want to speak to somebody outside of your school. Maybe there's somebody in your school in a different class and you could speak to them. You know, be intelligent about it. Some people can't deal with everything. Remember, not every teacher is perfect. Not every principal is perfect. Not every rabbi is perfect. Not every rabbitson is perfect. Different people have different approaches. Some people, you know are afraid. Some people are scarred. Some people just have a more, you know, a different type of approach. They don't want to deal with any questions. They feel that a munapshuta means that you're not allowed to address anything. So it's just, you know, don't worry about it. Don't be resentful. Don't be afraid. There's plenty of people who you can have an intelligent conversations with. And if worse comes to worse, send me an email and I'll address your question. Rabbi YY at theyeshiva.net. By the way, I did an Amuna series of 30 classes, some of the basics of Amuna, and you could watch it on the website theyeshiva.net. That's T H E, the Y E S H I V A.net. If you put in the search Amuna series, you'll see a series of 30 classes that deal with a lot of big questions. And I think for some of you, that may be very, very helpful. That was a commercial. Thank you so much. Okay. We are told that you can ask and dive for whatever we want. And sometimes it's not good for us. How do we know it's not meant for us or to keep asking for it? It's a great question. And I think that we work on both, on both ends. Meaning, if you feel that something is important for you and you want it, Ask. Ask, but remember, Hashem listens to every tefillah. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says not yet, sometimes he says I have something much better for you. (laughs) And we don't always know what the answer is. So you could continue asking for whatever you feel you want. On the other hand, deal with your reality in the most successful way. So in other words, I would love if the situation changes completely, but Hashem may decide that the situation is going to remain this way for a certain amount of time. So now I have to embrace the reality and say, okay, 
I'm going to maximize my position and maximize my potential and maximize my mission here. And you could still dive in for what you want, and it's not a country. It's not a contradiction. Depression is such a heavy word. Many forms of depression is completely not your choice. Completely. It's mamish, a test of life. Some people suffer from acute depression, clinical depression, various forms of mental illnesses which bring upon depression. And it's completely not your fault and you cannot blame yourself. You have to be kind to yourself and compassionate for yourself and make space for it and realize that this is a serious challenge that you face. You are not essentially a depressed soul. You're a piece of Hashem. But Hashem has sent you, He sent you a piece of His light into this place of depression to bring hope there and bring light there. So don't be discouraged, but don't blame yourself. You need a lot of compassion for what you're going through. Thank you. Why does Hashem create a world when so many people fail the mission? I think that this shows us the power of free choice, that Hashem invested everything in humanity and He gave them freedom, believing in us sometimes more than we believe in ourselves. And look at the fact that despite all the pain and suffering, 5,000 years later, the world has made significant progress. If you study history about what the world looked like just a few hundred years ago and a few thousand years ago, you will see the progress that has been made through the contribution of Torah and Yiddishkeit and the Jewish people. It took a few thousand years. But the world is going upward. It's not going downwards. It's going towards Geula. It's not going towards destruction. So despite the pain and despite the fact that so many people do the wrong thing, it would be more painful for Hashem to take away our free choice and to turn us into robots because that means ultimately that there can't be a relationship with us. That means ultimately that we are helpless and hopeless losers. And Hashem's faith in us will always be even stronger than our faith in Him. I didn't understand the question. I think she meant that many girls in her class finish so so quickly. What can she do to prevent not feeling that pressure? When you stand up to daven to Hashem, take a deep breath and tell yourself that Hashem right now is giving you an opportunity to speak to Him heart to heart, face to face. Tell Him everything that's on your mind. And by the way, you could daven. You know, you can insert in every bracha of Shemayna Esra anything you would like pertaining to that bracha. And in Shema Koleinu, you can insert anything you want. And you could speak to Hashem in English or in Yiddish or in Russian or in French or in Japanese. And think that at this moment Hashem says, so to speak, I'm stopping everything and I'm tuning into you. Sarala, Chayala, Shprinza, Chani, Rifki, Leila, whatever, whoever, Zlati, I'm tuning in to you. I want to hear what's on your mind. If you can go into that mindset, so the fact that your friend finished after one minute or after 30 seconds, okay. That's what she chose, or she's just too stressed or too busy or wants to run home. But don't let that define you. You take the time that you need, because this is your moment with Hashem. 
Am I always in that mindset? I can't say I'm always in that mindset. Sometimes I'm stressed. Sometimes I got to go. Sometimes I'm worried, you know. But if you can go into that place, so then let everybody do what they want to do. But this is your moment, and I'm not going to give up that moment. If the teacher is somebody you feel you can really speak to and be open, I would just be honest, and I would say, you know, Mora, so-and-so, there's something bothering me, there's something that's sitting on my chest and on my mind. Can we have an open, vulnerable conversation? Will you judge me? The teacher might say, of course not. I would love that. I would cherish it. Please, wonderful. Just tell her, spill the beans. If the teacher gets nervous, maybe she's not the person to speak to. (laughs) What's a girl's mission in life when you don't have the same mitzvahs like boys? I would say every neshama has her own mission, boys and girls. But if we speak on a more general basis... The fact remains the fact, and don't see this as a cliche, because it's not a cliche, it's real. The feminine soul among the Jewish people was entrusted with the greatest and most awesome responsibility and privilege, and that is to create the future, to create the Jewish tomorrow, to create continuity, to create the next generation of the Jewish people. The reason why women and girls were exempt from most of the mitzvahs that boys and males were given, the Rishonim explain, is because Hashem wanted that the girl and the woman should be able to be focused with every fiber of her being on her deepest privilege and responsibility, and that is creating a new generation of Jews. And there is nothing as powerful, as significant, as holy, and as important as that. Going to shul three times a day is wonderful. Learning shiurim every day is absolutely amazing. But nothing comes close to bringing a new child into the world, feeding the child, carrying the child, birthing the child, nursing the child, raising the child, and creating a home that is healthy, happy, wholesome. The atmosphere in the home is what sustained the Jewish people for three and a half thousand years. That mission, this is not, you know, cute, Rabbi Waiwe is being nice to women. This, <laughs> this is not being nice. This is the deepest truth. If you can ask a question, what's more significant in history? The people who go to shul and get aliyahs to the Torah? Or the people who are responsible in molding every single Jew from the youngest age when they're formed, when their brains are formed, when their characters are molded, when their dispositions are developed. Hands down, we all know what's more important. And of course, this is not to say that women shouldn't be davening and learning and men shouldn't be raising their children. God forbid. We all need to be, we all should be doing everything. And sometimes women want to get out of the house and they want different careers and that's perfectly fine. But when you talk about a mission, this is the unique element that the Torah calls the woman, Akeris Habayis, the foundation, the foundation of the home and what, what could be more important in every, any civilization, any civilization. You know, if somebody, I was once giving a lecture to, it was a secular crowd. So somebody said, there you treat women, second-class citizens, the home with the babies. I said, you're so interesting, you know. If somebody tells me, I I work in a a factory that produces pencils, and I stand 10 hours a day making sure those pencils come out, 
And recently I was promoted to the manager of the factory. Everybody will say, that's amazing. You produce pencils. But when I could point to somebody and say, she doesn't produce pencils. She creates neshamas. She creates souls. She creates lives. Eh, That's not a real job. (laughs) Making pencils is a real job, right? But making people, that's not a real job. That's, eh, who needs that? (laughs) Makes sense. I have nothing against making pencils. I use pencils and pens. We love pencils. <laughs> Although today not many people are writing, but I still write. I still take notes with pencils. I like pencils for the svarim because I can erase it. Nothing against making pencils. But when people lose perspective of what's really fundamental, you know, it's, 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 it's important to, to, to keep focus. And this doesn't mean every single woman is going to run a home. Sometimes there are people... Hashem has a different mission for them. It doesn't mean a woman cannot have an amazing and incredible career and vocation. Yeah, I saw Joe Biden just hired one of our own. But the point is, you have to understand what the unique shlichus generally of a woman is. Al Peter, and it's 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 not just nice and okay. We have a place for women. I don't buy that. We have a place for women. We have a place for women. We have a place for men. <laughs> And it's called a shul. We throw them, in, we put them on the other side of the mechitzah and shul. That's the place for men. And I'm being a little humorous, but I hope you get the point. Yeah. How do we have free choice if Hashem knows everything beforehand and planned everything beforehand? It's a great, great question. I'm going to give you the most basic fundamental answer, but I think you'll get it. And that is, Hashem knows the future because Hashem transcends time. So the past, the present, and the future by Hashem are all one. If you watched me choose on my plate, there were two pieces of food. There was an apple and there was an orange. And I chose an apple and you saw it. And then you say, oh, I saw Rabbi Y.Y. chose the apple. I know what he chose. Nobody's going to say, I didn't have a choice because you know what I chose. You know why? Because you know it because I chose it. I didn't choose it because you knew it. You knew it because I chose it, because you saw me doing it. What happens if Hashem could see the future before it happens? So it's not that you chose it because he knew it. He knows it because you chose it. Think about it. Nice? Yeah, thank you. I see when your face lights up, I know I gave a decent answer. A little bit mind blown. What's the best thing to tell someone going through a challenge? The best thing to tell somebody going through a challenge is, I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. I empathize with you. And consider me a friend in this situation. The best thing I can do is be there for them. Hug them, whether physically or virtually. Listen to them. Cry with them. Laugh with them. And don't go over to them and tell them, if you need help, call me. (laughs) Because people don't do that. 
Offer them the help. Be there with them. Go out with them. Spend time with them. Shmuz with them. That's that's the first and foremost thing to do when you're facing a friend who has a challenge. Just be there for them. You don't have to justify. You don't have to explain. You don't have to rationalize. Just be on the journey with them. Hold their hands with love. Thank you. Someone asked, what would be the role of someone who can't bear children? Right. The same question is also about a man. And in fact, a man has a mitzvah pruravu. Somebody who can't bear children. Some people have infertility. Obviously, they have a different shlichus in the world. They have a different mission in the world. Each and every one of us can be an ambassador of light. We are all part of Project Light. How we do it, that's different for every single person. Some people only find their shidduch later in life. It's not easy. Some people can't bear children. But each and every one of us is a gift to humanity. Some people do it through educating children. Some people do it through educating adults. Some people do it through giving, being involved with charity, with chesed, with benevolence, with giving. Every person creates children in different ways. The Gemara says, The children of tzaddikim are their good deeds. When I do a good deed, I create a child, I have an impact. When I inspire you, I created a child. The Gemara says, when you teach somebody Torah, it's like you gave birth to them. Why do you give birth to them? Because there's physical birth, biological birth, but there's spiritual birth. If I give you life, if I give you meaning, if I give you purpose, I gave birth to you. Because you're now alive, not just physically alive, but emotionally and spiritually alive. So every single one of us, no matter the circumstances, can have an impact, can birth, can bring birth and life to the world. How? That depends on your circumstances and your mission. But never think, God forbid, that you're somehow the defected person who has nothing to do in this world. God conceived you in love, and the day you were born is the day Hashem said, you matter. If somebody asks you a hard question and you don't know the answer, don't feel bad to say, you know, it's a great question. I really don't know. Let's go to somebody who may know. Let's ask them. They may not know. Let's go to somebody else. And it doesn't have to be a physical visit. Today you can email them. I told you earlier, worst comes to worst, email me, rabbiyy at theyeshiva.net. If I, if I have an answer, I'll be happy to answer. If I don't have an answer, I'll be honest with you. So there's nothing wrong with telling somebody, I don't know. I have to think about it. I have to research it. I have to ask somebody about it. We're not obligated to know everything. None of us know everything anyway. That's a good question. How do I figure out my own purpose in life? I would say a few things. Number one, when you find the place in life where your passion meets a real need of people, you have hit the jackpot. You know, sometimes I'm very passionate about something, like I have a talent for something, but it's not helping anybody. Okay, fine, you can do it in your free time. Sometimes people have a need for something, but I'm just so not excited about it. Okay, it's maybe not for me. But when you are good at something and you have a passion for something and you care for something, and that something is a real need for people, that's where 
you hit the jackpot. This I once heard from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who passed away recently, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain. That's point number one. Point number two, you have to always look at your talents, your resources, your gifts, your blessings, your kashrayness. If Hashem has given you, and He's given every single person, unique gifts, unique resources, those are part of your mission. Do not waste them. That is part of the light that you have to give over in this world. Number three, you have to always examine your circumstances. Where you live, what type of family you were brought into the world to, what type of school, what type of environment, what are the challenges you have, what are the blessings you have, what are the unique circumstances that define your life, because those are all because that is probably part of your shlichus. If I find myself in a particular place with particular circumstances, that is part of my mission. Finding how I can be an ambassador of Hashem in this place under these circumstances. The last point I would make to you is when you find that you're having serious resistance to what you have to do, that's probably part of your mission. If I know I have to do something, and I am finding it extremely difficult. There is deep emotional resistance. It's probably the Yetzirah opposing it ferociously because it's part of my mission. Thank you so, so much. This was incredible. Thank you, Ruby. so many questions. Thank you so much for staying. And thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thank you for the privilege of inviting me. Such a beautiful and great group of uh, girls. Your questions were wonderful, stupendous, brilliant, full of uh, inquisitiveness and curiosity. And I really, from the depth of my heart, I wish each and every one of you bracha and hatzlacha, ad blidai, tremendous blessing and success in your life with happiness, with serenity, with tranquility. May you always be able to see the infinite light and beauty that resides in your soul and in your heart And always be able to share that not only with yourself, but with your family and with your friends and with your community and with with the world. And always see yourself for who you really are. Ambassadors of Hashem to light up the world. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everyone, and thank you all for joining. Bye-bye. Good night. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.